Only a couple of years back, Leicester was considered the modern slavery capital of the world. I mean, not India, not Bangladesh, not China, Leicester. So it's about taking a big look at your life and saying, how can we make this system better? Or is it a system that actually needs to, to be completely changed? Is fast fashion on its way out? Is it something that is just never going to be sustainable? We're not trying to save the planet, right? Because the planet doesn't need saving. That's a common misconception. Yeah. We're trying to save ourselves. So if we truly want to live and thrive, what actions can we do on a daily basis to make that happen? Dive into inspiring conversations from community development to cutting edge science, business innovation and conservation. Where good intentions turn into real actions. Where sustainability, regenerative life. It's not just a city, it's a movement. This is Net Good City. So hello everybody and welcome to episode two of the Net Good City podcast. Uh, we're in Leicester today in the in the wilds of Leicester in Abbey Park with this guy Chris. Uh, Chris, introduce yourself and what your organisation does for the good people. Yeah, sure. Uh, thank you for having me on. feel quite honoured that it's the, the second podcast. Um, I'm Chris Desai. I'm the Global Director of UOcean 2050, which is a project of the VIU Foundation. Nice. So, what, so why are we in Leicester, in Abbey Park, near all this waterway? What's the, what was the big problem that you're tackling? So the big problem, and it's not just Abbey Park, it's not just Leicester, it's not just the UK, um, but the big problem that the planet's facing is plastic pollution. Yeah. Um, and especially river and ocean plastics. So when we started U-Ocean, you know, it was one of those kind of, I was, I was in fashion. Yeah. I mean, okay. to, to, to kind of go back from there. Yeah, yeah. Um, born and raised in Leicester, textile industry of the country at one yeah. point. I believe Leicester had, you know, X amount percentage of all manufacturing in the United oh, Kingdom. So hosiery and things like that. So yeah. I grew up, you know, around fashion and yeah, took a, a life kind of career in fashion, moved to London. And nice. during this, it was one of these things that being in rural England to start with, yeah. you're very much in touch with nature. I mean, we've got some of the most beautiful parks, I believe, in the country. Yeah. Um, and we've got lakes and rivers for miles. So I was always on the water, around the water, um, in parks, hiking, you know. And when, you know, you're going to a career, a lot of the time you lose that connection. Yeah. You know, I was in the big city, Great Portland Street, um, living one street away. Yeah. Um, so it was very much kind of, you know, 10 years of my life was surrounded by concrete blocks. Yes. And uh, every occasion I would always try to get away. Whether it's the British coastline or abroad, I'd always want to be on the water. And the more and more, you know, this is before as well, sustainability, as they keep saying on everything. It came, it came sustainability, cool. yeah, before it came <laughs> cool, apparently, yeah. you know. Um, I started to ask those questions at the company that I was at. You know, where, how much water does this, this T-shirt use, you know, to make? Yeah. You know, is it made of plastic? are there plastic particles going to come out in the wash? You know, all of these questions. And I realized, you know, through traveling to India, Bangladesh, Turkey, uh, Portugal, Italy, you know, 
oh my gosh, you know, the fashion industry is so polluting. Yeah. And nobody was talking about it. You know, everyone's so happy to jump on the oil and gas bandwagon. You know, that they're the devil, they're this. At least oil and gas has a purpose. Yeah. It keeps our houses warm, keeps, keeps cars going, right? But fast fashion is like the most pointless kind of model in fashion. It's not luxury, it's not long lasting, it's not hard wearing, you know. It's just literally wear it for a week and people pride themselves on buying 10 things at yeah. a time to then throw away. And I just said, no, I, I don't want to be a part of that. And then when you realize the truth, you know, it's kind of that rabbit hole that you can't go back down. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, well, go, go the other way. You know, you head all the way down the hole. Yeah. And I realized, oh my gosh, you know, for 10 years of my life, I've been polluting the waters of this planet. Um, polluting the oceans ultimately. And I just needed to, I needed to take responsibility. So where did these, where did that, that first question, that, where did they come from? What was it, was it purely looking back at, like noticing stuff on your travels? Was it looking back to like a child, I think? Like what was that, that trigger that, that make people care about this stuff? Cause that's the way to change behavior, right? Yeah. Is get people to, care about stuff no of course i think for me it came from more of a, a whole life change um okay. i realized you know i did see a lot of things in these factories you know i started to see rivers that were dyed blue Jeez. and you know things like that you can never take back and i think if you see that and don't take action you know question yeah. your your character your integrity um so it was that and it was also that in the fashion industry you know i'd kind of clawed my way to the top of my industry and when you you know I think for me because I'm from Leicester I've, I've had a very spiritual background in that respect nice. as well um, you know I've meditated since I was 14 but I hadn't meditated properly in about 10 years you know it's oh, more for like yeah, this yeah. mindfulness stuff and it wasn't deep entwined you know soul wrenching sadhana as we call it yeah. um, and yeah, and it was, you know, I got to the point where I looked to myself one morning, it was like five o'clock in the morning and I was, I was in the office always by half five, six, you know, it was, yeah. it was a very you know, busy day, 16 hour days every, every day. And um, I just said to myself, I was like, everyone thinks you're so successful, right? We're going to get awards, we were gonna get these things, with, yeah. you know, always flying around here. Sometimes we'd be on three, four flights a week. And I just looked at myself and, and do you know what? Not many people, I think have the capacity a lot of the time to look at yourself and say, do you know what? I'm just so full of shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> so despairing, but you know, it's like, I'm, 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 this, is, this is not what success should look like. This yeah. is not what I should define myself as. You know, having all of these industry friends, going to all these, you know, kind of great events, but it wasn't the real me. And I think, you know, in my plight for security, and that's the truth, yeah. you know, like my dad was a refugee. Right. You know, he came to this country with nothing. And I was born in a situation that was, you know, very, very, very humble. So I've always been taught, you know, work harder than everyone else, strive for more, secure yourself, bring that, you know, bring it home. Yeah. And in that plight, you know, which I think was necessary. Yeah. It really was necessary to survive. You can't expect, I think a lot of the time, you know, we, we look at say Africa and India and we say, oh, why aren't they doing more sustainable things? When it's like, this is a plight for survival. Up, right? Yeah. They're, they're, you yeah. know, if, if it's, if you have choice. the choice between living 
or live or you know or not living and not polluting you know living and polluting or live not living and not polluting you're going to choose to live and you'll pollute right yeah so i kind of lost myself i think in that plight and i just didn't take stock that wow i was an art director of a a prestigious kind of firm like there was no progression above me i was the the top person and i just kind of went oh my gosh i'm not happy and that's honestly where it came from it's i think you know you hear this story sometimes you know a lot of people continue to to live unhappy yeah but i'm not that you know i'm i said i'm from leicester you know my mom raised me well <laughs> she's like if you're not happy change it yeah don't sit there and just you know be be mobile be adaptable and yeah so i decided to change i was like let's just let's just take a different direction and shortly you know trying to tr change the company to be more sustainable i realized how can you put a triangle cog yeah into you know a different shaped engine it doesn't work so i left i literally handed my resignation in yeah and i just left and that was the the turning point interesting so i mean there's loads of angles to go down from there i think i think an interesting place to start is how were those questions when you started questioning something like personally against your own values and what you were seeing but when you started questioning stuff internal of the industry like in the company you work for which was the one of the causes of pollution yeah like how were those questions received do people know that was happening oh what, like yes they, they they fully know it's happening and they fully choose to ignore it and then they greenwash over it by saying look i've made a donation to this cause or i've done this or we treat our staff better but right. you're still not treating your staff in the factories better you're not treating you know those underage kids that you're employing <laughs> right, right. Yeah. you know the ethical conditions of fast fashion uh, supply chains are disgusting and i was always in the fight against that you know to make conditions better children should be in school not working in a factory um so it's very much one of those things that I realised the industry knew about it. Yeah. And they choose to turn a blind eye. I mean, take this full circle. We're walking in Leicester. Yeah. We're probably about two miles away from one of the largest still fast fashion kind of uh, capitals, right? Yeah. Only a couple of years back, Leicester was considered the modern slavery capital of the world. I mean. Not India, not Bangladesh, not China. Leicester Jeez. was, the, was the, the capital of modern day slavery. So it's about taking a big look at your life and saying, you know, how can we make this system better? Or is it a system that actually needs to, to be completely changed? Is fast yeah. fashion on its way out? Is it something that is just never going to be sustainable? And you're thinking about, you know, fighting against those them hard to change behaviors like convenience and ease and affordability right mm. like the the things that you mentioned systems that the system we exist in are um perpetuated by like it's making us all be the same behave the same repeat behaviors and stuff like that and it's i think people certainly come have a moment of clarity you know, when they when they see their situation and make, might want to make a change, whether it's related to happiness, whether yeah. it's related to like a problem or a challenge or a need that they see, right? It's mm. helping people 
like the trigger moments I always call it that yeah. help people see through the veil or the shit I just go oh, hold on. like it happened to me a few years ago and and I was like oh hold on all of this stuff I was doing like didn't really matter oh my god I spent 23 years doing stuff yep. that didn't really matter basically yeah <laughs> like <laughs> there's a hard bullet to bite and it's it's tough right and I think I think there's there's trigger moments and it happens at different stages of people's lives whether it you know it can be a myriad of things right but I think we can help tell the story of what these trigger moments are for people, what, what sort of signals they can recognise in the world yeah. that make them aware of things like plastic pollution, of the, of the, the issues of the, the systems, right? So you, you mentioned earlier um, uh, travelling around the world and, and, and getting out of London and stuff like that. What was one of those stories that was you know, the trigger moment or a shock? Was there a particular one that stands out when you went, Jesus, look at the there's, plastic there's, issue? Yeah. There's a few triggers that kind of, one, you know, small charge kind of made the next charge go off, you know, in yeah, that yeah, respect. Yeah, yeah. And one of them was when I'd started to feel a certain way about fast fashion yeah. and what I was doing. And, you know, it's like removing your ego from the self you know yeah, yeah. and I was at these events or I'm in the office and and it was like I was there but I'd step back mentally right so I was just watching it's like I'm, ob- I'm, role, I'm an observer of my own life yeah, yeah. and when you observe your own life like that from more of a an objective point of view it it just shocked me at how fickle you know the the industry is how fickle our successes are um and I think one of the moments is that I was in Turkey and we were auditing like new factories. So there was an audit team and we was going around finding new places because you know what, our production numbers were going up through the roof, we needed more factories. And I remember going to this one factory and the, the owner was very much, you know, I'm, I can read people, <laughs> you know, I really can like, yeah. sorry, I, I, could, I can see things from a mile away, I've always been like that. Um, and I knew this factory and I kept saying to him, oh, show me the factory floor. And he kept saying, oh, you know, if you, we're still doing a few things, so, you know, come back next week. And I said, no, if you want us to work with you, show us your factory floor. I want to meet your workers. And this isn't the QC team. The QC team is saying, oh, it's okay, we can come back. And I'm, you know, I'm an art director. I'm like, right. I'm looking at fabrics, ranges, and, but I'm starting to show a real interest. I'm like, no. And then it started to dawn on me, something's wrong here. And I said, I want to see the factory floor or we're not going to come back. And I think when I said that, everyone that was there just kind of went, he's on a mission. Like, you know, and and you could tell at that point, my mentality had changed and I'd lost the, I don't know, maybe the, you know, the kind of shyness I had or whatever it may have been. And they opened this door and I'm not joking, we went through about three I would say like broom cupboards to get into this this uh, floor and I opened it and I walked in and I mean it it was as dark as like an evening like an evening wow. uh, thing right and there was just these little lamps and people sitting on all of these machines there were hundreds of people this room was bigger than you can imagine and they do it in basements a lot of the time right and I started to walk down this production line and there's this one girl and I mean even when I talk about it now I, I kind of get a bit emotional but this, I stopped at this, this, this table and I looked at this girl um, and you know what, she couldn't speak a word of English 
And I looked at her and it was one of those and I just thought, you're not older than 12 years old. And I just stood there looking at her and I started to well off. I mean, you know, I get emotional now speaking about it. And I turned around and looked at the factory owner and he just looked away. And I thought, you've got kids working for you and definitely like Syrian kids, things like that. And I just said to the team, I was like, we're going, we're gone. And then it was like, no, no, come back. And I said, look, I, this is what I knew. I could feel something was wrong. Yeah. And from that point onwards, I mean, it was actually only, I think around a month after that is when I, when I, I left. Obviously, we didn't work with the factory, um, but I left because I just thought this is, you know, I'm, I'm actually part of this system in, inherently, right? You know, yeah. even though we sit in an office in London sending designs out, it's irresponsible not to know where it's being made, who's making it. You know, this little girl, bless her, she needed to be in school. I've, my sister yeah. was her age, you know? Yeah. Um, and it just kind of really dug deep. And from that is when I handed the resignation in. Um, obviously, you know, it's one of those that everyone couldn't believe it. Everyone said I was making the biggest mistake of my sure. career. Yeah, yeah. Why would you leave now? You're at the top. Um, and I generally did not care. I just, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't be a part of something like that. And then that's the, so that was the first trigger point. Yeah. Which moved on to the, sec, to the second one, which is when I looked in the mirror in the morning that day, before I handed my resignation, I didn't even plan it. Right. I literally woke up, looked in the mirror, and I just couldn't really look at myself. I generally felt ashamed. Um, even though I've not done those things, I was still part of it in some way. Yeah. Um, even someone that buys fast fashion is part of it in some way. Um, and yeah, so that was the second trigger moment. And then I'll tell you the third one in, in a sure. minute, I'm sure. I think, yeah, it's a good, it's a good chance to pause. I, I think there's not many people, I mean, judging from the, the, the people I've known and have interacted in the world, get the opportunity to see, to see stuff like that. No. Right, do you know what I mean? To see the factory floors, to see the the dirty underbelly of the system in action, yeah. right? Because we just go about our lives. Yeah, like yeah, people yeah. work in offices, in workshops, carry on, get home, have the tea. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, you don't, whether it's a choice or, or, or not, but you don't tend to stretch the surface unless there's something in there, right? Yeah. Sure. So just before we hear the, the, the next echelon of your stories, what, how does, that fast fashion issue and problem show up in plastics like in in people's day-to-day world like say we're in abbey park in leicester right so in communities like this in cities like this how does that problem show itself to be honest it's, it's an amalgamation i mean we have a lot of manufacturing firms in leicester that do you know acid washing they wash the garments with acid they create obviously the fabrics um, they knit it, which is polyester. Right. So you've got the effluents going into the rivers and things like that. Then you've got the plastic bags. Then you've got the plastic tags. Then you've got the plastic handles. Um, then you've got the plastic hanger. Right. You're right. Um, so it, it all kind of comes back. And, you know, it's one of these things that when you look at the whole entire system from consumer goods, drink packets, you know, so drink bottles and crisp packets and these kind of things, it's an amalgamation that we're hooked on plastic. And, and I, I, I say this, you know, even as a conservationist now, I say, you know, plastic is a great product, right? And it's changed the way the world has managed to do things. You know, plastic in the NHS saves lives every single day. Yeah, yeah. So I don't want to be ignorant. 
So, you know, you, you get a lot of um, people, especially in the eco world, saying, you know, plastic's the devil, this, blah, blah, blah. It's like, look, yes, in the environment it is. You're not wrong. But at the same time, plastic has probably saved your life at some point yeah. and continues to do so. So it's about mismanagement of plastic, plastic in the right and the wrong products, and the circularity of plastic pollution and plastic products and, and things like that. Yeah, so I think, uh, I think you're right. Everybody interacts with plastics all day, right? Like my, like had the- um, Your some, jacket. Uh, jacket. The microphone. Probably, yeah, yeah. The GoPro. Everything. Your right? laces. My phone. My phone, <laughs> but no, and this is my, my exact point. Yeah, right? right, and some of those plastics are good, like they keep your medicines safe and yep. childproof and, you yep. know, like, all this sort of thing but I think we all have a, a kind of a sphere of influence like maybe a, a, a responsibility of how we interact with the ecosystem we exist in so whether that's people whether that's environment whatever that looks like like that that kind of ripple effect so one of the things that stuck out from your story is that even though you're in this um, factory in Turkey Yep. You took the responsibility to question that. Yeah. Like when it wasn't your, I'm, I'm assuming it wasn't, my it wasn't job. your no, responsibility. Definitely, definitely not mine, no. <laughs> right. So I think there's, there's a kind of a, a call to action we can do for people to to understand their level of responsibility in this thing. And it, it, it's because we interact, right, because we're covered in have access to plastics maybe that's a good place to start for people's responsibility right but what's the thing that people can choose let's let's take fashion for an example yeah. what are what are bad everyday habits for but people and, and and plastic i think you need to look at firstly the ecosystem yeah of what industry you're you're buying it from right. so it's one of these things that you know we i could say you know if you if you get a polyester t-shirt you know, it's it's bad for the planet. When every time you wash it, around seven million plastic particles go into your water system, out of your washer, right? So, you know, if you chose a cotton t-shirt, yeah, that in itself, imagine that, seven million particles and you're washing it maybe three times a week? Yeah, twice a week, yeah. depending on how much you wear it. Yeah. So, 14, wow. 14 million a week, let's say, two, two washes. 28 every two weeks, right? Start to work it out. You know, you can stop 50 million particles of plastic from one garment. And how many garments do you wash? So let's say, yes. let's say 200 million particles of plastic you can stop from going into the water systems by just changing what kind of clothing you wear, right? Yeah. So things like that. Then also, I will say that pollution and isolated and disadvantaged communities always get, you know, they're disproportionately affected. And whether that is with pollution, whether that is with ethical conditions, whatever it may be, I think you need to look at the ecosystem. Right, right. So it's right. not just plastic pollution in, its, in itself, it's the systems that come around it. Yeah. And you know, like for me, going from fashion into conservation, you know, not many people go from fashion to conservation. I don't think things have to generally be ideally connected you know i didn't yeah. work at a plastic bottle manufacturer no no i worked in fashion but when you see the circularity of pollution when you see all of these different kind of things and it starts to make you wonder and yeah. you start asking questions so it's about questioning the ecosystem i believe so what 
what questions would you ask? What would you get people to ask themselves when they're, when they're looking to make a purchase? Right? Yeah. Let's say when they're looking to acquire something new, whether they think they need it or the kids need it. Or, well, that would be the first question. Do you really need it? Do you really need it? I think that, honestly, you know, consumption is one of the biggest problems in yeah. our world of pollution. Right. You know, if you look at the West, the global North, you know, I saw an article the other day talking about America and that, you know, you have the, the day each year where they run past the own amount of resources oh, yeah, the world's yeah, got, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 the tipping point. Yeah, the tipping yeah, yeah, points. Yeah. You know, and they would need 3.5 times the size of this world if everyone yeah. consumed the same. But yet other people in other countries are still living, thriving, existing. So it's about, do I really need it? Yeah. Is it good for the planet? Is it bad for the planet? And to move this conversation on even a little bit further, nowadays, I think the, the, the wonderful mentalities that people are starting to have and the habits is that, you know, it's not like we're adjusting our quality of life. Yeah. It's actually about, you know, if I buy a product, can that product be regenerative? Like, can it, if, you know, will it plant trees? Will it yeah. remove plastic from the ocean? Will it, you know, I think nowadays people are, I know people use it as a USP, for now it is, but I believe in the future that would be normal. Yeah. That everything you do will have then a give back to the planet. A, you know, for every, you know, say you buy a, a bed, you know, for every bed you buy that's taken four trees to make, yeah. we plant 10. That kind of thing. And I think that's the practices we need to start getting into and stop looking at let's be sustainable because by saying I'm sustainable means I'm okay with where I'm at. That I'm not keeping the current level. And the current level's poor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So sustainability isn't necessarily a good thing. And this is my, you know, I'm, people, People call me a disruptor, <laughs> you know, mouthy. I don't, I, you know, I really don't care. But I will say those questions because I'm the first one to admit I don't have all the answers. Yeah. I'm still working it out myself. I mean, I'm the head of a conservation organisation, and even we make mistakes. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm a lifelong learner. I'm learning every day. I love, you know, I love it when people come to me and say, "Do you mind if I just tell you something?" You know, and they're an expert about something. I love it because. I hands on you know hands on my head. I don't know everything. Neither no. does my team, but we're trying our hardest. So it's about learning, adapting, creating new concepts. Stop trying to fix the old broken ones because, like we said before, some concepts are broken yeah. in the model. So therefore, they just need to go. Yeah. And new ways of thinking need to be brought about. And you've got to. I think one of the key things that, that's standing out from listening to you is. Um, like it's important to keep asking the right questions without knowing the answers, right? Yeah. You've got to, sometimes you've got to, especially in this regenerative, sustainable conservation world, right? Yeah. You've got to do the work without knowing what the right answer is. Yeah, Take that, the first step. Take the first step. Like, I say this every single day. I said it yesterday on the BBC. Yeah. You know, they asked... How would someone get involved, even if they don't want to join UOcean or UEarth yeah. or the Wai Foundation? How can they get involved? And I just said, take the first step. You know, when I went out with the litter pickup the first single day, and we'll get into that actually. Yeah. I'll say that part. Yeah. Um, when I went out with the litter pickup, I didn't know 99% of the things I know now. I just knew plastic shouldn't be in the water. Yeah. And I have a litter picker. Therefore, if I remove it, that's a good thing. Yeah. Take the first step. 
Yeah. And that's a that's a good sign. I think before we started recording, actually, you mentioned something that's interesting and, and people can take the first step. You're on about having a, a, a no plastic policy at your kids' birthday parties. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Like, tell the people <laughs> no, so about that. A simple thing. And do you know what? A lot of our friends and even family think that we're, you know, a bit extra sometimes or we're, <laughs> you know, jobs worth or whatever. Yeah. But... We worked it out, right? When, you know, you have 100 kids at a kid's birthday party, right? Then we worked out, everyone always gets a gift bag, everyone gets this, gets plastic plates, blah, 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 all this stuff. You know, an average kid's birthday party, we estimate it to be around 1,500 pieces Jeez, of man. disposable plastic per kid's birthday party. I've got three kids, right? So imagine that per year. <laughs> four and a half thousand pieces of disposable plastic for four hours, five hours? Wow, yeah. It's disgusting. So... You know, my wife, bless her, she's amazing. She said, so why don't we do this? Why don't we take the plates, we, you know, the venue was near, near our house, took a load of our plates across. The rest of them, we got some washable ones. Then some yeah. of them, we got disposable ones that people didn't want to use them. Then we was like, okay, fork and knives. Let's just take some yeah. bamboo ones. Let's take some paper ones. Let's do this, you know, found some different models. Then instead of a printed laminated plastic Disney bag as people do, no, we literally got these like FSC <laughs> bags they could take home. Yeah. And in the bag, we put a pack of seeds that they could plant flower bombs for their gardens. Yeah. We put nice. some crayons. <laughs> we put a little paper pad. Like we put all of these things that, you know, are just better for the planet. We're not saying they're perfect, but we then went, okay, so all of the parents took it home. The next day, which was really interesting, about three of the parents said, you've made me completely rethink what I was gonna do for my kid's birthday. Amazing. And that was three people. And then the ones that didn't say anything, it was ironic. We went to their birthday parties a few months later and they went, do you know what? I got the paper bags that year as well. Now, do you know what? I didn't get the plastic plates and yeah. the cups as well. I got reusable ones, brought my stainless steel ones from home. Like all of these kind of things. And we went, oh my gosh, you know, sometimes you by just living your life in a more sustainable way yeah. can influence so many other people to make those sustainable choices. Yeah. It's, but you make ripple effects, right? Of course. Do you know what I mean? And it spreads out whether you adopt sustainable behaviors at work at home with your kids at schools do you know what i mean the it, it's about taking those first steps dropping those first stones yeah right? and, and causing those ripples effect i think that's a really simple example right and mm. hopefully people listening to this will be able to you know just see what how easy it is to take the first step right? yeah simple steps it's it's not rocket it's science not, it's not challenging right to put a seed no. bomb in a kids party bag in a paper bag right it's, yeah exactly maybe you, you think a bit harder or work a bit harder or make a better a, a different choice but yep. it was actually do you know what we worked out as well the Go funny on. thing about it it turned out cheaper per bag yeah <laughs> and that was the irony of the whole thing it actually was cheaper to do it in a more sustainable way than it was to have had all the other plastic toys and things yeah i bet it does uh, you know that will ripple that will uh, be replicated across so many kind of points of change and choice points that we can do but you were I want to get you to talk a bit about um, your ocean projects but let's hear about the, the litter picking story because was that the start of this no that is journey? the start of your ocean go on, then. Go on then. so 
I took a litter picker out by myself, went to a river yeah. near my house, started pulling plastics out of the water. And being from Leicester, and I always come back, back to Leicester because it is my home yeah. and it is important. And being from Leicester, I basically thought to myself, when I go and do these activities, have I ever seen anyone else in my community doing these activities, right? right. It really made me think, because now I've started to think about everything, right? Since uh, I left that job, I had a lot of time to think. Yeah, yeah, cool. <laughs> um, and actually, sorry, do you know what, to go back before that, go on. when I left the job, I wanted to reconnect with nature. Yeah. So I actually went down to the Isle of Wight nice. and I spent six months on a boat. Nice. No laptop, no phone, away from everyone, because, the truth of the whole thing is, is that I genuinely felt I'd lost myself. I was being fake. I was not, you know, the person I'd became, Mr. Yeah. Fashion, Mr. Successful, was just not successful. He was unhappy. And maybe in some people's eyes I was, but... Maybe on paper. On paper, yeah, on paper. I mean, it looked phenomenal, right? Job offers everywhere. But as a human being and as a citizen of this world, I was very unsuccessful. And I've all strived for success. That, that's the refugee mentality. That's the immigrant work ethic. We will make a business out of anything. We yeah, will yeah. sell bread to a baker, right? Yeah. You know, and I just kind of went, no. When I came off the boat, I had a, an, an experience on the boat, which I won't talk too much about, but it changed my life forever. And it was, you know, people call, call it a divine connection, yeah. an epiphany, you know, something happened. And I, not over a period of time, I mean, in a single moment. I had this life-changing experience. And from that, when I came back, I said, okay, what do I want to do with my life? That was the first question, right? Yeah. How do I be more sustainable? And I use that word very lightly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I thought, okay, there's still, you're fighting the ego. Still fighting it. How do I make money? How do I actually live though? How do I survive? So I thought, let me do what I know best. I'm born and raised in the textile and the fashion industry. Why don't I create an organic, sustainable brand? A, a brand that would regenerate the planet. Yeah. So that's what I, I, came, I went down to and I started a brand called Vayu. Ah. Yeah, so I went back into fashion, but at the complete different end it's of the spectrum. Yeah. And I realized, oh my gosh, there are a few other people like me that yeah. think like this, that I'd never met. Imagine that I'd never met in, yeah. in 10 years, meeting thousands and thousands of people. I'd never met someone like that. And, you know, I started Vayu, you know, fast forward two years in, we literally hit gold. And Amazing. that two years was probably the hardest two years of my life. It was like empty food cupboards at home. I invested all the money into the stock. You know, I'd, I'd been married for six months. Um, I had a baby on the way. Timing. And I, I timing. Gen <laughs> generally, I, at that point, I thought, I've ruined my life. Like, you know, when she met me, I was this... Uh, high-flying This high-flying guy. But, you know, I was very <laughs> honest with her and I told her what I was going to do. And she said, I'm, I'm going to support you. Nice. Do what you need to do. Good. It doesn't change anything. Um, two years in, I don't know how she felt. <laughs> no, she didn't. It didn't. <laughs> no, she stood by me, bless her. I love my wife. Um, and... Yeah, we hit jackpot. We managed to get the organic sustainable fashion brand, right? Nice. Organic materials, wind and solar powered factories, dye effluent systems, sand filtration pits. We use the monsoon rains to actually, for the water consumption, so no water out of the rivers or grids. And I was like, okay, we're doing a good thing. Yeah. Couldn't sell a single piece online to start with. You know, so like selling it to friends and family, you know. Yeah. 
And um, and then two years in, I managed to you know use my skill sets, and I got the brand into actually 633 shops wow, that's around that's the world, from America to Europe, Australia, and we cleaned up. You know, we we did well, but then it's once again. I'm two years now after this epiphany. Two years in, yeah, and I sat at home, finally relieved that I could breathe, and then I had this daunting daunting feeling that I've not done enough. What I've done yeah. is what certain people do. I've taken the first step, more sustainable, you know, ethical working conditions, all these kind of things. You know, Fairware Foundations, one of the people that audit the factory and things like right, that. Right. And I said, okay, I still don't feel that I've ever done enough. So what I did, I chose the easy option, right? Because I like, I like easy, easy is a good Everybody thing. Likes. Everyone likes easy. I said, let me give some money to a charity. <laughs> let me do a give back, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I said with the garments, it was very, you know, ethical made, ethically made, organic, yeah. but that in itself is quite, you know, regenerative in that respect. I can't keep saying that wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, you know, in, as in you're not using pesticides, for, yeah. you know, fertilizers, things like that. But what we decided to do is basically think to myself, okay, I'm gonna give some money to a charity. I'm going to do something that will actually give back, that yeah. will, you know, do something. And I searched, and I mean it, I went from Plymouth to Weymouth to Leicester to Nottingham, Manchester to Edinburgh to find a charity that was about conservation. Right. right? Ocean plastics, river plastics, because that's where my heart was set on. And yeah. I just came off a boat for six months, two years ago, you know. And one of the things that dawned on me as well is that, you know, being, my dad's from Africa. Yeah. And my mum's Scottish. English, but Scottish by heritage and German. Um, and I realised that actually, you know, being a mixed race kid in Leicester is very normal. We've got a lot of diversity. Yeah. Around the rest of the UK, not so much. Yeah. And every conservation organisation I went to was just Caucasian. And it wasn't, and this is the thing, it wasn't just Caucasian. It was middle to upper class Caucasian. So the kids I grew up with were like, white kids off a council estate or the Asian community off a council estate or yeah. the black community off a council estate. And that kind of, you know, that, that, that mentality, you know, that we have, the lack of opportunities, that we have to create opportunities for ourselves because it's not freely given. I never once in school got a trip to the beach. Yeah. I never once in school got to, you know, look at coral or look at this or stingrays. Like, you know, we, we, we they said, oh, let's go to Drayton Manor. Right, yeah. right? Not the same. Yeah. Not the same. Yeah. So we don't get the opportunity. So then one of the requirements of me giving this money to a charity is that you would work with lower social class communities in that respect, council estates, yeah. ethnic minorities, isolated groups, people like me. And not a single charity could promise me that. And to be honest, not a single charity seemed to have that on their radar, that that was their intention. Right. So... I went back home after about two months, you know, me and my wife were traveling for, to find these charities. And she just looked at me and said, you know, you know exactly what you need to do. And I just went, nope, no, nope, no, <laughs> no, no. I have two years of hell on earth. I mean, this is something else. And she went, she goes, you know, like in, she said, God's, God's put it on your radar. This is what you need to do. And you know it. She said, just like when you left the fashion industry, you knew you had to do it. She goes, you don't have a single doubt of what you need to do. You're just trying to avoid it. And she was right, <laughs> you know, she's, she wasn't wrong. 
not and super practical at that time. <laughs> not practical at all, <laughs> yeah. right. Um, and yeah, so that was it. So I started the Vive Foundation, the registered charity. Nice. And then this is where it gets better. I start the charity, I spend, this is 2018, we spend a bit of time actually creating the project. How do I want it to look? Because I, I, I don't want to just do it in that respect, because I had a bit of time. I thought, let me actually not just wing it this yeah. time. Let me put a bit of planning into it. Still, I'll take the first step just with a litter picker, but let me actually think, where does it go ultimately? Yeah. You know, even if it doesn't, let me start to put steps in place. Cool. So, put steps in place. I go to launch the project, and guess what day I go to launch the project? Go on. March 2020. Ah, good timing. Good timing. First, <laughs> First thing of lockdown. Yeah. And I'd got the team on it, Vayu team, everything. Everyone was planning it and, and this happened and we had a meeting and everyone went, we're ruined. Like we'd, and we'd put the money into yeah, it by yeah, this yeah. point as well, which is ironic, this right? Is the end. And I just said, you know, I'm forever hopeful. I'm always going to make a situation like better. So I just said, give me a couple of days. I'm going to sort this. And the whole team looked to me, you know, as much as like even, even now, um, my team looks at me like, you have no idea what you're doing. But I'm like, I've got this in the bag, guys. Don't worry. And that was it. I, I heard on the news, you're gonna be allowed out of the house one hour a day in yeah. nature. Remember, yeah. And yeah. I just said, well, why not send people, litter pickers and vests, nice. and they can join our project. They can weigh, quantify the amount of plastic they take from the rivers. We do the safety training Amazing. online, all these kind of things. And that was it. Fast forward three and a half years later for U-Ocean. That was the first U-Ocean uh, moment. You know, there's six and a half thousand volunteers now. Six We've got 18 sites in the UK, 18 Ocean chapters in the UK. Nice. We've got 15 international chapters from Indonesia to Malawi to St. Lucia to Trinidad to Mexico. Amazing. Um, We've just came back from Bali, Indonesia, um, nice. to our team out there. And now we're literally, we're taking, you know, tons and tons of plastic every week off beaches around the world, That's out incredible. of rivers. And you know, in the UK, we are now the fastest and largest growing BAME-led conservation organization. That's amazing. That's amazing. And I know you've um, just been received an award, but that- oh, Yes, yeah, Saturday. That, <laughs> yeah, that um, I saw on the old LinkedIn, but that needs, like uh, needs some applause right needs some recognition and we'll we'll link to all the all the videos and all the content i know you mm. guys are on top of that sort of stuff so people can check it out but as a final kind of question for you really like what does like in the world of sustainability i know we keep saying that world yeah. right like we there's a big date coming up of 2030 that's yep. given us by the thing right so what does you ocean look like in that next few years? Like, what's the yeah. big thing that you want people to get involved with and help support? It's the big thing that Ocean wants is we have a mission to remove a billion kilos of river and ocean plastics, which is one, by 2030, right, which is nice. only 1% of the world's ocean plastics and river plastics, right? So it's very much that it's a small target. It's a big target, yeah. but a very small amount compared. But what I want by 2030 is that conservation should be normalized for the average person. It should nice. be accessible to every school child, every area, every deprived area, every rich area. Like It should be for everyone. Conservation should be universal in our daily habits. When we come to the park, we should have a litter picker with us. You know, when we're in our garden, we should, you know, not spray it with stuff we should plant fresh things you know we should look at it we should grow our own food you know little things that we can start to do to become sustainable and most importantly when we go to consume or purchase we think 
Do I need it? Is it good for the planet? And that's it. And I think you will come to that understanding by just stopping and taking a little bit of time in nature yeah. or a little bit of time in the mirror and say, you know what? We're not trying to save the planet, right? Because the planet doesn't need saving. No. That's a common misconception. Yeah. We're trying to save ourselves. So if we truly want to live and thrive, what actions can we do on a daily basis to make that happen? Yeah. And that's a, a great question to end with. I think if people start thinking a little bit like that, start questioning the systems, start questioning the, just the daily choices people make. Yeah. Like it will ripple effect out. And I think it's such a, a great example. And, and all you guys listening or watching this should check out what Chris and Your Ocean are doing because they're making, um, they're waves. making moves. Making waves. <laughs> making waves. But thanks, Chris. I no, appreciate that. All right. Anytime. Cheers. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Net Good City podcast. We hope you've been inspired to make a positive impact in your own life. Be sure to subscribe and stay tuned for more Net Good stories. Please share this podcast with your friends and with your family. If you know a change maker who deserves to be featured, then get in touch. Till next time, be good. Thank you.